The Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. Shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. The Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony, and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you uh, shall say to the people of Israel... This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. And you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, sakte and uh, anika and uh, galbanum, sweet spices, with pure frankincense, of each shall there be an equal part, and make an incense blended by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat uh, some of it very small and put a part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use his perfume shall be cut off from his people. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, holy God, we praise you for your holy word that you have revealed yourself to us in these words. And uh, Lord, we need the mind of Christ. We need your Holy Spirit to teach us, to instruct us about the beauty of who you are, that we might respond to your word with faith, with obedience, that the seed of your word would find fertile ground in our hearts and minds, that that seed would grow up and, and bear fruit in our individual lives in our community, for your glory. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, this has been an interesting week uh, preparing for this uh, sermon. Part of the way that at Christ Church, how we uh, 
write our sermons is that whoever is giving a sermon on Sunday morning, two weeks before that sermon, they have to pre- present their ideas for the sermon to the rest of the staff. And so two weeks ago, I uh, presented my ideas for this passage, and everyone kind of heard what I was thinking. They're like, eh, I don't think that's going to work. And, uh, and John Neville said, you know what, I think this passage is about holiness, and everyone said, yeah, it's about holiness. And they're probably right. I think 15 times the Hebrew word Kadesh shows up in this passage, the word for holy. And so uh, we went through this process. I said, fair enough. All right, I'm starting over. We're going to write a sermon about holiness. And uh, Jonathan Keel uh, said, well, if you're going to write a sermon about holiness, I have an article that you have to read. And if, if you don't know Jonathan, Jonathan's, you know, he's new to our staff. And he's just finishing a PhD in Old Testament Hebrew. And his advisor, this guy named Peter Gentry, had written this kind of obscure article in the Midwestern Journal for Theology. I'm, I don't know how many people have read this article. Very few, probably. But Jonathan said, you got to read it. And I said, all right, I'm going I'm to read this passage. And uh, what Gentry argues is that how theologians have defined holiness for the past several centuries is probably wrong. Now, generally, when someone says something like that, they're probably wrong. You know, if someone's been, you know, if Christians have been saying this is what a word means for centuries, that's probably what it means. But what he says is actually, if you go back through it, everyone was just repeating what the person before them had said. And they actually didn't really dig into and explain how they got that understanding of holiness. And uh, the idea that he is arguing against is that the word holy primarily means separate. Or set apart. And actually, you know, when I first became a Christian, I think maybe my first theological conversation I ever had was like 16 or 17. My friend's dad was a pastor, and he said, do you know what the word holy means? And I was like, I don't know anything. I don't know what holy means. And he says, uh, you know, imagine you have a pile of rocks, and you take one of those rocks, and you bring it over here, and you separate it from the other rocks. And this rock is all now by itself. That rock is holy. It's set apart. It's separate. And, uh, you know, of course, if you imagine that's what holy means, that's really going to impact how you view God. If God is holy, one theologian puts it this way, holiness is the impassable gulf which makes God inaccessible to the creature. God is separate from us, then he's other, he's transcendent, and all that makes God sound very distant. And of course, God is other than us. He's the creator. We're the creature. He's different than us. He is transcendent. He is powerful. He is wise. All those things are true. But what Drentry argues is the Bible, that's not what the Bible is communicating by the word holy. And so where did the idea that holy equals separate come from? Uh, Well, it turns out it's based on a tentative connection between the Hebrew word for holy and the Hebrew word for separate. They both share two of the same consonants. As they say, well, they must go back to the same root. Now, if you talk to a linguist, They'll tell you that etymology is not a good way to find a definition of a word. So, for example, you know, if you came up to me and you said, hey, Nate, you know, I met your wife. She's really nice. I was like, nice, huh? Well, you know, nice comes from the Latin word for ignorant. So, you think my wife's ignorant, do you? And you're like, no, I think she's nice. Like, that's not, nice doesn't mean ignorant. You can't go back to the root to find out what the word nice means. And so, Gentry says, we got to study carefully. How does the Bible use the word holy? And I'll tell you This has been a week of new ideas for me in the Bible. I'm excited to uh, share them with you by answering four simple questions about holiness. What is holiness? What does that say about God's holiness? 
How do we become holy, and why does it matter? Four questions. What is holiness? What does it say about God's holiness? How do we become holy, and why does it matter? And, you know, I'll tell you, actually, just in my own Bible reading, you know, I've been seeing the word holy pop up, and with, I got new glasses to read the word holy with, and it's brought new meaning to the text, so I'm excited to share it with you. So, four questions this morning, and the first is this, what is holiness? And the two answers that I want to give to that question is that holy means dedicated, and so holiness is a gift. Holy means dedicated, and, and so holiness is a gift. So first, holy means dedicated. When something is holy, it means that it has been dedicated to God and to God's purposes. And so, uh, you know, in this passage, there are three main things that are, that are described in this passage. There's this bronze basin of water. There is the holy anointing oil, and there's a holy incense. And most of the attention is given to the holy anointing oil. And you see the recipe is given for this oil in verse 22, where it says, the Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin of olive oil. Now, by the way, if you t did this recipe, this is about 38 pounds of spices mixed with a gallon of oil. And if you actually do that, you're not really going to get an oil out of it. You get more of a paste. So, you know, the, the you know, commentators are like, do, what, do they rub the paste on people? Or do you, you know, squeeze an extract out of this? Or do you mix it with water? We don't know. We don't know what, what they did with it. But it goes on in verse 25 and says, And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer, it shall be a holy anointing oil. And then it goes uh, through all the different elements in the tabernacle that we've been studying the last two months. Have you been here the last two months? We've been looking at all the pieces of furniture in this tent. And Moses is supposed to go to all of them. And it's like this, uh, and put oil on them. And it's like this verse is kind of like a summary of everything that we've been studying. So it says in verse 26, With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting. And the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Testimony is in the most holy place. It's in one room in the tent. And then it moves out to the next room, the holy place, uh, where uh, the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense. And then it moves out to the courtyard and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand. And so, so Moses is supposed to go through all the items in the tabernacle, starting at the most holy place with the Ark. And he works his way out. And each of these elements, through the anointing with this oil, is being dedicated to God for service to him and his purposes. So it's just not an ordinary tent. It's a tent that's been dedicated to God. It's not ordinary shovels and forks and whatever all the utensils are. They're, they're, they're utensils that were dedicated to God. And, you know, I think it's, it's remarkable, you know, because they probably didn't take the oil and just dump it all over everything. I mean, they made these nice curtains for the tent. You know, we read about them, they're beautiful, and you think, are you going to throw oil all over them? They probably didn't do that. They probably just took a little bit of oil and put it on the corner and just marked it as holy, and that's all it took, a little bit of oil, and all of a sudden, this thing is holy. And, you know, I think as modern people, this is hard for us to understand because we think, oh, these ancient people, they're all magical, and they think that if you just put a little bit of oil on something, it magically becomes holy. And I think that modern people don't understand this because of the second quality 
of holiness is not only that holiness means that something is dedicated to God and his purposes, but second, that holiness is a gift. Holiness is a status bestowed by God as a gift. And so when we ask, you know, are the tent and the altar and the table and the lampstand, are they transformed because you put a little bit of oil on them? Yes. Why? Because God said so. And when God bestows a status on something, it becomes that thing. And you actually you'll notice that people are anointed in this passage as well. You see in verse 30 it says, You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you know, in the Old Testament, if someone became a king, how did you become a king in the Old Testament? You're anointed with oil. Samuel anointed David and Saul. And uh, if you were going to become a prophet, how did you become a prophet? You were anointed with oil. When God has authorized someone to be anointed with oil, it transforms them. And you think about, you know, when a person, you take David, five seconds before the oil came on him, to, did, he, how, did he change from five seconds before to five seconds after the oil? Yeah, he did. He became a king. That's a huge transformation. You know, Elisha, five seconds before the oil to five seconds after, did he change? Yeah, he became a prophet. He became God's mouthpiece. That is a huge transformation. And so you say, well, did something magical happen? Well, it's kind of magical. I mean, the change that happened is not something that you could see under a microscope. His, like, biology, biological, chemical makeup didn't change. But it was a spiritual change. And holiness is a spiritual transformation that God bestows on someone or something when he claims it as his own. And uh, there's a, actually an important instance of this earlier in Exodus. You know, I was mentioning that the Israelites, they came out of Egypt and they come to Mount Sinai. And right when they come to Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, first thing that happens, God says these words to them. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all, the, uh, among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. So God says, I claim you as my own. And then he says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. I'm dedicating you to this purpose that you're going to be a priest to all the nations and a holy nation. You see, the Lord has claimed ownership over this people and dedicated them to his own purposes in the world. And so they are now holy. So first, when we say, what does holiness mean? Holy Something is holy if it is dedicated to God and his purposes, and someone or something becomes holy because God has bestowed that status on them as a gift. So then, this raises our second question, what does that say about God's holiness? If that's, what, if that's how we define holy, what does that say about God's holiness? And this is the thing that like, totally blew my mind this week was that if holy means dedicated to God and his purposes, what does it mean that God is the most holy being, that he is the holy one? It means he is the one who is most dedicated to his purposes. And to not regard God as holy means that you think he will not follow through on what he's promised, is, promised or purposed to do. So, uh, you know, Gentry wrote the article. He gives this example of a, uh, from Numbers when the Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness and, you know, they're getting 
short on water. Everyone's thirsty. They're kind of worried about what's going to happen. And so they start complaining to Moses. And they come up with all these things about what life was like back in Egypt. And they're like, remember we were back in Egypt and we had pomegranates and we were drinking wine. And we were, you know, we had all this grain. And you kind of read it and you're like, what are you talking about? You're slaves in Egypt. Like you were like forced labor. You were being oppressed. You didn't have any of that. So they paint this picture. And they're complaining to Moses. Moses takes the staff and he hits this rock twice with the with a staff, and the water starts flowing out. And this is what the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. The Lord says, I promised that I was going to bring these people to the promised land. And did you think I was like half committed to that? I was like half dedicated I'm 100%, I'm the most holy. I'm the most dedicated to my purposes. Nothing can change my plans of what I'm, I'm gonna do. And you did not believe that. God's holiness is about his dedication to his promises and purposes. And just think how different that is than understand that holiness means separate. God is separate from us versus saying, you know, that, that there's this impassable gulf between us versus saying holiness is about God's dedication. And so when the Bible repeats over and over, you shall be holy, for the Lord your God is holy, the Lord is saying, I'm dedicated, you be dedicated too. You know, it's like a marriage vows. I dedicate myself and you dedicate yourself back. And, uh, and because the Lord is dedicated to his own purposes and his purposes include us, that means he's dedicated to us. And our holiness includes being dedicated to God and being dedicated to each other. So, you know, for example, there's a place in the New Testament in Colossians where Paul's writing to a church like ours, and he uses the word holy. And this is what he says. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So you're beloved. God has claimed you for himself. He's bestowed the status of holy on you. Now, how do we, how do we act as holy ones? He says, Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. As if one, has a if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He's saying be dedicated to each other. God is dedicated to this community. You be dedicated to this community as well. So God is the most holy one. He's the most dedicated to his plans, which is incredible. That was like, that was a major shift for me. But also, he wants to share and give that holiness to us. And so the natural next question then is, how do we too become holy? How are we brought in to God's holiness? How does he give his holiness to us? And there are two ways that this passage answers that. First, you enter holiness by being washed with water. You enter holiness by being washed with water. And you see how this passage begins in verse 17, where it says, The Lord said to Moses, You should also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. Now, what this is describing is that, you know, the, the tabernacle complex was uh, a, a courtyard that was about 75 feet 
by 150 feet, and it, you know, it was enclosed by a curtain, and, and you would enter this courtyard through a screen on the, on the east side of the courtyard, and when you pass through the screen, the first thing you would see is this altar that was about five feet tall, it was, set, it was square, by, it was a grill, basically, seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet, you'd have to, it had stairs or a ramp that would get up on it and have these animals like cooking on it, you smell like a barbecue, and you'd have Israelites like having picnics in this courtyard, like eating their peace offerings before the Lord, and then if you walk past the altar, you'd be coming to this tent, and in front of the tent, in front of the entrance to the tent, was this bronze basin with water in it. And the only people who were allowed to go in the tent were the priests. But, you know, the priests have been, like, cutting up animals for these sacrifices. They got blood and guts all over them. And, you know, you're not going to just walk into the Lord's house with blood and guts all over you. So you got to, like, clean up and make yourself presentable, you know, for the Lord. And so you'd wash yourself before entering the holy tent. And so washing with water is the entry point into the holy tent, into the holy dwelling place of God. Now, we don't have a tent anymore where God dwells. Where's the new tabernacle, the new tent? Well, the Bible tells us the new tent is us. It's our community, our bodies. This com- like the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And so how do you enter into that new tent, the new tabernacle? Well, baptism... Washing with water is the entry point into the new tabernacle. That's why we always say here, the beginning of the Christian life, is that you repent of your sins, you trust in the grace that is offered in Jesus, and you be baptized. It's the beginning. It's the initiation, uh, the initiating right into God's family and into the church, and it is through baptism that God claims you as his treasured possession. And actually, you know, it's traditional in churches that uh, maybe you grew up in a church like this where they would put the baptismal font at the entry to the sanctuary. So every Sunday when you come to church, you pass by those waters and you say, how did, you know, how did I gain entrance into God's holy family? It was through the waters of baptism. It reminds us that that is how we enter into holiness. And so still today, you enter holiness by being washed with water. Now, some of you say, well, I know people who've been baptized, and yet I would not say that their lives are dedicated to God. You know, doesn't our life have to kind of match the baptism that we have? And, well, I think that's the second part of how God makes us holy, is that you receive holiness by being anointed by the Holy Spirit. You receive holiness by being anointed by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it's interesting that this pa- in this passage, there's a pairing. Like, what's put together is washing with water and the anointing with oil. And do you know how the language of anointing is used in the New Testament? It's used to talk about being anointed by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus says in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Or in 1 John 2, it's talking about all Christians. It says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. We have, we have a, like a power inside of us giving us knowledge. I mean, some of you have experienced that. Where you're like, I don't even know where this came from. I just like, God's like giving me insights about it's te- understanding who he is and understanding the Bible. No one ever taught me that. So you have the Holy Spirit working in you. And again, but the anointing you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything. So the thing that the holy anointing oil of this passage is pointing to is the Holy Spirit who dwells in all of God's children. 
Now, in many places in the Bible, these two things are paired together, washing of water and anointing by the Spirit. And they're tied together in kind of a mysterious way. You know, Jesus says, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, they cannot enter the kingdom. And you know, at Jesus' baptism, of course, the Holy Spirit like descended on, on, on him. And if you read through the book of Acts, all the, uh, the baptisms, uh, you see that baptism and the receiving of the Spirit are tied together. And you have some people, they receive the Spirit, and then they're baptized. And then you have other people who are baptized, and then they receive the Spirit. So there's this weird ordering. Which one comes first? We don't, we don't really know. And uh, the washing with water and the anointing of the Spirit are distinct, but they have a spiritual relationship and are connected in a mysterious way. And what that means is that for each one of us, passing through the waters of baptism and the Holy Spirit's work in our life, it work, he works differently. You know, some of you might say, I was baptized as an infant, and then God didn't really work in my life for like decades later. It was like God was making good on the baptism decades later. Or some of you might say, you know, I really was definitely the Spirit had changed my heart. I was a new person, and it, I, didn't become a, I didn't get baptized till later. You know, it's because it's not a mechanical connection. It's a personal way that God deals with each one of us uniquely. And so when we ask, how do we become holy? It is through water and the Spirit, but the process is different for everyone. But I think this is an important point. If holy means dedicated, and God told the Israelites, I'm going to finish the work that I started. What does that mean for you and me who have the Holy One living and active and at work inside of us? It means the work that God has begun in you, he will see to completion. He's 100% dedicated. And some of you might feel like, you know, I feel like I'm in this spiritual wilderness like the Israelites were. I feel thirsty. I'm wondering where the next water is coming from. He's not 50% dedicated. He's not half dedicated. He is the most holy one. He's 100% dedicated so we can trust him. Now, I've said a lot. Let me try to summarize. What is holiness? To be holy means to be dedicated to God and his purposes. And when God claims something or someone as his own treasured possession, he bestows on them the status of holy as a gift. And above all, God himself is holy because he is more dedicated to his purposes than anyone. And he brings us into his holiness through the waters of baptism and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So our last question then is, why does it matter? Well, you know, saying that God's holiness is his dedication, you know, sounds very hopeful. You know, he's going to finish the work that he's begun in us. Like, praise God. But, you know, when you read about God's holiness in the Bible, it's often paired with threats about how dangerous God's holiness can be. And so you might say, like, how does the hopefulness of this go with the threats? And, well, you, there are a number of those threats are mentioned in this passage. You see in verse 21, it says, They shall wash their hands and feet so that they may not die. Or verse 31, And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. And you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or, puts, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. And then again in verse 37, And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves, it shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. 
when undedicated people mix with God's holiness, it results in death and people being cut off from the nation. Because if you're not dedicated to God's purposes, and he's 100% dedicated to his purposes, that's a problem. You become opposed to his purposes and opposed to him, and the Bible says that is dangerous. So there's a dilemma. Because God has dedicated himself to drawing people like you and me to himself who are not dedicated to him and his purposes. How can he say, I will destroy whatever opposes my purposes? I am dedicated. I am holy. And I will save even those who are opposed to my purposes. I am so dedicated and so holy. How does he say both those things at the same time? How do I destroy and save? Well, in that article that I read this last week, the climactic line at the end of the article is this. The cross is a revelation of the divine holiness. The cross is a revelation of the divine holiness, which means if you want to see how holy God is, how utterly dedicated he is to his purposes to bless sinners like us, look at the cross. Jesus shows the lengths that God's dedication will take him to draw us to himself. All the threats of this passage is death, being cut off from the people, all fell on him in our place. Jesus was put to death. Jesus was cut off. Because of our unholiness. He was the, the one most dedicated to God's purposes, but he stood in the place of those who opposed God's purposes. So that those of us who have opposed God's purposes could draw near to the most holy God. It's breathtaking. The cross is the ultimate revelation of the divine holiness of God's dedication. And so the reason why this matters is because it means that God's holiness did not separate him from us. His holiness drew him near to us. And it assures us that the work that God has begun in each one of us, he will see to completion because he's dedicated far more than we are. Or as it says in Isaiah 43, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So trust in the holiness of God this morning. Let's pray together.